for me, you know, building a business is more than just being evaluated a billion dollars. And every time I see a company kind of cheering that as a, as a milestone, it just feels wrong. It's like, you know, okay, that's a great milestone. But, you know, if you just built that on VC funding rounds and, and essentially hype, then it doesn't feel like the best long-term outcome for the, for the planet. And, you know, I think we're starting to look at that from, a, you know, we've got a responsibility it's more than just providing a return for our investors. It's actually being a great company, a great place to work, and a place that ultimately makes a difference in the world. So welcome back to How I Built This. So as always, brought to you by uh, Cathcart Associates, um, technology recruitment experts in Edinburgh. So on today's show, I'm speaking to the CEO and one of the co-founders of Float. They're an award-winning Edinburgh-based cash flow forecasting tool for small businesses. So yeah, please welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks, Liam. Um, I hope all of that was still correct. Are you still a cash flow forecasting tool for small businesses? We still are, yeah. Oh, yes. So we've passed the first bit. So just a quick bit on your background before we jump into float. So I was looking um, at what you did before and kind of like your uh, kind of first couple of roles. Um, so you come from like a technical web development background, right? Yeah, I think you could say that. Uh, I I did computer science at uh, Harriet Watt uh, as my undergrad and then set up a digital agency um, pretty much uh, about a year after um, graduating. Oh, no way. So that was, um, so I basically really always loved the kind of tech space and really liked, uh, you know, where the web was going. I graduated in 2001. So it was really just early days of the web and, you know, just I remember uh, seeing what was possible with things like Flash and, and moving into more sort of dynamic database driven websites. Uh, and yeah, that kind of got me interested, but I quickly realized that, you know, I wasn't the best person to be building the tech or writing the code. Um, I was more in the interested in the user interaction, more in the sort of product side. Uh, and ended up being more customer facing and kind of almost that sort of in- interchange between designers and developers who, you know, didn't often speak the same language. So I was able to be a bit of a bridge there, which I think uh, worked quite well. Nice. Yeah. So I was going to mention that you kind of almost were an entrepreneur by trade, but I didn't want to, I didn't know that it was so quickly after graduation. So did you just decide kind of you wanted to be your own boss quite quickly? Yeah, uh, I did actually. I I thought um, I remember going to some of the trade affairs, some of the big uh, software companies at the time, and thinking, "Gosh, this isn't really uh, this isn't for me." And I met a guy once, and he said, "If you ever really want to get paid what what you're worth, um, then you should start your own business." And I don't know why that just stuck with me. And certainly, it wasn't true for the first ten years of my life. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it was it, it just it. It was sometimes it's just funny these little snippets that stick out to you, and that was the thing that um, made me think, yeah, I quite like to do that. I, you know, I remember thinking like I don't actually care what business I run. But at one point, we were thinking of setting up a, an online shoe company, and just as sort of, and then we thought, no, that's probably a bit of a stretch, uh, and I uh, started building websites. So. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that there's little things that stick with you, even if, like you said, they're not true for the first part, anyway. And then moving on to float then i happen to notice when looking into kind of the, the background of the company that it's pretty much 10 years to the date since 
float has been around. Is that right? I mean, I appreciate there might have been a little bit before, but kind of as a business, it says October 2020, uh, 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Um, that's when we incorporated. And I guess there's a little bit of a backstory to that in that, uh, you know, I, I probably... So I set up um, the agency, which was called If Looks Could Kill, uh, which is still going, actually. Um, I sold it uh, to another firm, and they're still running it under that brand. Uh, but probably around uh, 2007, 2000, I started just getting a bit bored uh, of of the, same, the sort of monotony of pitching for new work. And, you know, it was, it was still hard. We were still struggling with, you know, like getting the right quality people uh, and finding new clients. And yeah, so it was probably around 2007, 2008. I just started thinking, gosh, the only way I can see for us is to start going into more, into larger scale projects, which are less interesting, less creative, and also are going to cause us to need to scale as well to be able to deliver those projects. So it was a kind of like, are you going to go down this path or, or do something else? And I started thinking, you know, what else, what else can we do? And then luckily enough, the, the Edinburgh startup scene was just starting to really kick off with, um, you know, products and, and software companies that were online and, and uh, you know, you could host software in the cloud with an affordable price. So it all just started coming together really nicely in a way that uh, we thought, you know, what what else could we do here? Because you know, we, we're building we're building websites which are now starting to look more like software applications online. Uh, so we're, it's not too much of a jump to actually build an application that can be used across um, the world, which is obviously now taken for granted. But at the time, it wasn't really uh, that kind of thing where uh, you know a lot of people were doing so. Yeah, I think it was 2009, I got to go over to San Francisco uh, to uh, an event called Startup School run by a group called Y Combinator. That was, you know, just, again, good fortune. Somebody that um, from the university um, who were doing a lot in the space informatics ventures, part of Edinburgh, uh, had been and said, this is great. And I applied to go and got a, got a place, uh, you know, at the and, you know, at that event, you know, people like Mark Zuckerberg were, were keynoting um, Jason Freed from Basecamp. You know, the after parties were at Dropbox and Airbnb. So it was a really interesting kind of time to be in that space. And uh, I think that kind of got me to the point where I was really just excited about what we could achieve. And so, yeah, it was t- 2010 when we when we incorporated, but we weren't really running. It was still we were still hacking on the idea. Uh, at that point, and probably didn't launch it until 2012. What was the idea of Float back in 2010 and, and that period to 2012 before you really started? Um, and has it really changed much? Yeah, the idea was really simple. I mean, I was running the, I, as I was thinking about scaling the agency, I just thought, you know, like we have to do our finance, our finances are a mess. And I, and we, I read a book called The E Myth, which is all about starting to scale yourself. Uh, as a business and taking yourself away from the operational side of it. And I thought, you know, well, let's look at the areas that are causing me to have to be back in the details. And one of those was the finances. And I had a, I had done a spreadsheet, which is based on a personal spreadsheet, financial spreadsheet that I'd built to help me get out of debt at one point uh, in my life. And, uh, you know, it had worked and we'd applied that spreadsheet to the business, but it was still like I was the only one who had any clue in the business how to use that spreadsheet. It didn't it didn't talk to anybody. So, yeah, the idea was always just like 
my accountant is giving me zero help in terms of giving me insight into where the finances are at. You know, it doesn't help me make day-to-day decisions. It's a report that we get back at the end of the year. It's just useless. And how could we give this spreadsheet to other businesses? Because if there was something in that that was like this spreadsheet holds the key, but you know, like many spreadsheets are not very portable. They're not very accessible to people who don't know how to use them. Uh, whereas with software, you can give all the kind of user interaction, you can give the cues, you can manually update. So that was kind of where the idea came from. It's make finances simple for businesses to make confident decisions and to be able to, to have a dashboard, a sense of where their business is at. And that's, yeah, that idea has really held through the whole time. We've always kind of come back to that. You know, this problem is not a solved problem. And, uh, you know, we still find it that the the product you know we need to make it better and easier to use for businesses that are coming to to create budgets for the first time or from a usability point of view so yeah it's funny it's still it's still exactly the same problem uh and you know what's happened is the market has just got massively bigger uh, as well because i think that was the other kind of twist of fate that we bumped into the um and bumped into the guys at founders of free agent at an event once and started using their software uh, and then realized, like, gosh, this cloud accounting thing isn't bad and actually makes a massive difference to the business. It just doesn't have any forward-looking projections and budgeting. So that was the bit that we felt like we need to build this. Yeah. No, so I was actually about to touch on, which is quite handy. So uh, um, kind of when you guys set up, there wasn't really, like, QuickBooks, Zero, Free Agent, like all these things that, I mean, I mean, we as a company, I think – two or three years ago moved on to like zero mm-hmm. uh and it's just totally changed our back office mm-hmm. like it's changed their lives but when you were setting up like these things didn't i mean i'm sure they were there but they weren't as common um they weren't as commonly used and people didn't really know about them so like what you were trying to do then was fix a very very manual like old process right yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, we were all Mac based in in our office. And so the and so the main sort of accounting software at the time, Sage, didn't even work on Macs. <laughs> so, you know, we were basically using a spreadsheet. Uh we were creating our invoices in Word. You know, it was ridiculous. And so actually Free Agent, um, I think they had about two thousand customers when we started using the product. And I remember thinking, you know, this is actually a game changer. Uh and we didn't know anything about Zero at the time. We just thought you know, we knew the free agent, there was a couple of others and we thought this is the future. So the key is, you know, can we take this information and populate our forecasting budgets to, to kind of bring that real time live element to it? So you didn't always have to keep coming back and updating it manually. And like you say, you know, eventually we started hearing about zero when we started doing user research and, and, and zero was having more tra- traction in the accounting space. And, uh, you know, that was really the, you know, we made a, we made a decision actually at one point that, you know, free agent were targeting freelancers and sole traders. And that wasn't really the best market for us because, you know, very cash dropped and, you know, often the cash flow wasn't that complicated so they could do it in their head. Whereas the, the customers we were finding the zero were attracting were larger businesses. They were getting recommended it by their accountants and, and that was the, that was the sort of big pivot that we made, and it took us about a year to to make that transition. But um, we still support free agent, but zero became our main market, and then eventually QuickBooks as well. I remember I read uh, an interview you did. I think it was a while ago, but you mentioned that kind of the number one thing that small business owners pretty much get kept up at night is about kind of cash flow and 
whether the business is going to stay afloat. So is, th- is that where the name came from or is that just a nice coincidence? Yeah, it was, it was basically, um, we were, we were thinking on, on the sort of nautical terms. I think basically we thought, you know, my, the way I saw cash flow was like a wave. It wasn't something that you were kind of, you didn't, you can't acquire because you're, you basically got money flowing in and flowing out of the business. So that, that sense of like, sometimes you've got cash sitting in your bank account and other times you've got very little cash in your bank account, but you know, it's, there's, there's money coming in and out all the time. So the nautical theme seemed to, to really, you know, be appropriate. Uh, and then it was kind of like, you know, looking out for icebergs and uh, things that could, you know, sink you as a business and, and staying afloat. And that was that we've always kind of held on to that nautical theme and uh, the sense of, sort of piloting a ship or, uh, you know, making sure that you don't hit uh, uncharted waters or, you know, sink it essentially. Yeah, no, it fits quite well. You can use loads of different analogies. Mm. Um, another thing that I know you've talked about in the past is around kind of funding. So not just this is more for you as a business rather than other businesses, but you guys did a bit of funding at the start, right? I know you said you sold your stake of the marketing company and then you got a little bit of funding from like Scottish Enterprise and then went through the process of getting a bit more funded once you had a bit more of a proof of concept. What is that process like at the time? And is there any advice that you give people nowadays if they ask you, like, how do you go about funding? Like, what, what do you recommend? Funding is such a strange one because, you know, we were lucky enough to go on an, another program uh, called Steed Camp in London uh, when we were just starting up. And that kind of exposed us to the whole funding side of things, you know. But also there's a little bit of a, you know, and I, I don't know if this is still the case, but there was a bit of a sense of entitlement where, you know, you have an idea as a startup, you know, you know, it could be worth something in the future and you just go out and find investors who who give you a chunk of cash to, to, to make the business work. And, you know, I think the downside of that is that you don't really fully consider like what that money, what taking that money leads you towards and the path yeah. that it puts you on. So we were actually, we, we didn't get funded in the early days, I think because the market just was so small and a lot of investors were looking at it going, you know, we've never heard of free agent or zero. You know, this is the, this isn't a big enough space at the moment. Uh, so we struggled to get funding and I probably wasn't great at pitching to be honest if it, uh you know in the in the early days that was it was still quite a lot to learn uh and but really actually that to me that was the luckiest thing because um you know it, what it did was it allowed us to build traction with with our real customers and put us in a much stronger position for us to raise our first round and be able to choose an investor that was really aligned with what we were trying to do and you know that's been very much our model so you know i think i I see so many um early startups going and taking funding from investors that they're not aligned with because they're just like we need to get 50 100k uh to get started and to get people working on this and you know that there are strings attached with that and it makes it harder because you know you're going to spend that money and then you're going to have to raise again if you don't get to profitability and most people don't in that first seed round so it's a real. It's really worth sitting down and figuring out, and you know what the right path is, uh, because there's often not very much going back once you've once you've kind of got on on that and um, stepped out on that. So we we've been very lucky uh, to be able to get the investors that we um, we did get, and especially even all the way up to our last sort of seed round, which was uh, with Marchment Ventures, uh, who are just you know fantastic and very much aligned with what the business that we're trying to build. Yeah, no, that's good, and uh, and it's great advice in terms of like not going too early. I mean, you actually just posted something. Uh, was it yesterday or was it Friday? 
Yeah, I think it was yesterday. The unicorn thing you talking about? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. I was, I read it yesterday, and then I, I sent it to myself saying, "Read this before the podcast." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I added a section in, and I wasn't going to bring it up so later, but it actually makes sense here. So there's the whole thing around being a tech unicorn. So um, other than it being Scotland's national animal, it's also this weird mythical, like I don't know, like you you put it in a really articulate way, but there's this desire from like all these tech companies as soon as they start so like let's go back to 2010 like you and the co-founder sit in the rooms like we want to be the next tech unicorn it's like it seems like a strange thing to aspire to straight away and you've probably seen it more than i have but like companies that take that 50 grand 100 grand from the wrong companies just because they want to try and get to there as soon as possible right yeah absolutely i think there's just um you know, obviously, I think it was great that Skyscanner uh, were able to achieve that. And then we've got a sort of another cautionary tale, you know, in FanDuel that, mm. that um, they weren't able to achieve that or they were. And then and then it kind of fell away relatively quickly. And I think um, there's just for me, you know, building a business is more than just being evaluated a billion dollars. And every time I see a company kind of cheering that as a as a milestone, it just feels wrong. It's like you know, okay, that's a great milestone. But, you know, if you just built that on VC funding rounds and and essentially hype, then it doesn't feel like the best long-term outcome for for the planet. And, you know, I think we're starting to look at that from a, you know, we've got a responsibility that's more than just providing a return for our investors. It's actually being a great company, a great place to work and a place that ultimately makes a difference in the world. So, uh, there's a lot more to think about than just the the valuation uh, based on what you know on a lot of times valuations we know are overinflated and uh, so yeah so, so I think there's a real message there in that you know gosh let's not aim for that as the as the pinnacle of our kind of uh, as a Scottish economy like let's actually think about how other ways that we can really celebrate and uh, and champion companies that are um, profitable and that are um, doing good and giving back and yeah making an impact yeah i think bang on i mean the profitable thing that was what i was going to mention that it feels the, the unicorn thing feels a little bit american so like these companies where they get hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds investment from vc funds or whatever they hire all the best software engineers all the best everything but they never actually make any money surely that's not something to aspire to i mean i did a pretty low level business degree but it never told you to lose money yeah, you know, like, uh, again, it's funny because for me, you know, there's an element of, you know, we sort of see it as our sights are, we raise our vision and our on our ambition gradually rather than sort of going, right, we're going to be a, a billion dollar company from the outset because, you know, the chances of that are, are so minute. And what we've always wanted to do is regardless of whether we become a um you know, valued at a certain valuation, you know, we want to be a good company. And, uh, and that just gives us a very different uh, approach uh, to how we, how we build for the longer term and how we, um, how we work with our staff. And, and also, the, you know, the things that we want to learn, it's not just kind of like a hack, taking hacks to kind of grow as quickly as possible. It's actually growing in the right way um, with the right learning and the right team. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like for us, you know, we're sort of thinking like right now we have, we have a certain valuation that we'd be worth right now. Um, and maybe, you know, in a few years we'll be worth, you know, five or 10 times that, that would be fantastic. And then again, like we think, right, okay, if we're valued at, you know, 10 million or a hundred million now, like why not become 
you know, why not be valued at a billion? But it's not, it doesn't really feel like that's the, that's the goal. It's just kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's about looking about what's possible. What's the next thing that we want to do. And, and also for me, it's about, it's about going, well, it's not about just selling as quickly as possible and getting out and, you know, um, like uh, abandoning the company uh, just to kind of sit with an exit. I think one of the things that's been interesting about lockdown is that, you know, as a work from home, I think, you know, this could be me in a few years if we sold the company um, and I'd just be sitting here on my own uh, doing Zoom calls with people. And, uh, you know, actually we're really enjoying building this company and, and the challenges and the learnings that we're getting. And, you know, I don't want to, um, I don't want that to end anytime soon. So I think there's, it's just a very different mindset. Um, and yeah, when you, I get it when you're young and you sort of think, right, let's go out and build a company and um, become famous and, and have a lot of money and never have to work again. All of that is appealing. But I think as I've got older, it's a lot less appealing. And, you know, you realize there's more to life. And and actually, sometimes you're, you know, for me, this is a, I'm really enjoying working on this problem. I don't just want to get out of it and do the next problem. So, yeah, you know, we'll see how we go. No, I think that's bang on. I think it's a good lesson for anyone that like the whole unicorn thing isn't enough to get people out of bed. I don't think you have to really like what you're doing. It takes us on quite nicely to scaling, actually. So you'd obviously done a bit of hiring with the agency and you'd had the issues of kind of like, how do you scale there? Do you go after the projects that you're not as excited in and all that stuff? But when it came to Float, you obviously were sitting around the kind of wherever you guys started it with the founders trying to solve a problem. And then you probably get some customers, the product's looking a little bit better, but then you have like thousands of users and, and you've got to build a team and give some responsibility away. Like how was that at the start? Uh, and if you were comparing that to now, does it look completely different? Um, yeah, at the start. So um, myself and my co-founder, Phil, uh, you know, we did, Phil worked um, on Float for three years before he left. And, you know, that was a big decision for him. And I think it was the right decision but, you know, that was a really fun time working, uh, just Phil and I, and then, you know, because it was so fast and everything was moving so quickly and we complemented each other well and we worked together on problems and there's lots of good stuff, but it's also really stressful, you know, full on. We just had a kid as well around that time. So it was, it was a real kind of melee of, of, of things that were going on. And, and then we brought in a few, we sort of brought in uh engineers just just me and a bunch of engineers to work on um the software which is great again very close to it and lots going on but it wasn't really we call it kind of call it the boy band phase where it was just uh you know it was lots of fun me and a bunch of engineers and you're building software and and then we kind of realized we, we have to scale up we have to bring marketing into it we have to we have to think about how we're going to grow this company and brought in a few more senior people and, you know, that was good. But I think at the time I, I was kind of, I didn't, hadn't really thought about, you know, what's the leadership culture of this company going to be like? What, am, what are my values? How do I communicate what I want this company to be? It was just, it had always just been implicit and never really out, outwardly spoken. So eventually a couple of those folks moved on and we had a chance to build a new senior team. So uh, it was pro- I think it was 2018, uh, January 2018, that our new CTO, our new uh, CMO, and our new COO started. So four of us, including myself, and we re- I, I really wanted to set out that um, that kind of new culture, being very clear about the type of company we wanted to build. 
And so that was really uh, that was really significant uh, turning point for Float, uh, bringing in those three all at the same time. As it turned out, uh, we went away for a weekend together with a facilitator, and and just you know, what I'd learned was that you know if you don't have if you don't have a, a real trust at the foundation of the company at that level, and you and that that those those sort of leaders aren't really functioning as a, as a uh, coherent team, uh, rather than just leaders of their own teams. Uh, then you know that's that provides a real challenge for the company, and so we've been reading this uh, great book by a guy called Patrick Lencioni called The Advantage, which talks about you know your your senior team is your first team, and that's the, that team has to function really highly. So um, we went away, and that was that has been a, a pivotal moment for us as a company. Just um, getting that honesty uh, and vulnerability out on the table, talking about what we wanted to do with, with um, why we joined, uh, and honestly, the the next sort of eighteen months of that uh, journey were, have been fantastic, hard, but certainly a lot better um, than than anything previously and uh, and yeah that's all come off of the learnings and the feelings of the first you know of, of different iterations of that so yeah lots of learning and you know really feel like excited about you know putting that first team in place and how we've worked together as a team since then that's amazing and also it's really good learn for anyone that's maybe three four five years into their own business and maybe they're not quite sure where it's going or maybe they need maybe they know they need to do something but they don't know what it is maybe it is that just fresh outlook and looking at the what like what you said there the first team like is that right before you start doing everything else did you learn anything in that time or even since that you would pass on to other founders about kind of building high performing I suppose in your case, technology teams does work really well for Float, and and that you kind of would tell other people is worth looking at. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of it came through reading and coaching. So I think first of all, getting a coach was was significant. So um, one of the early investors of Float was Gareth Williams from Skyscanner, and one of his, part of his contribution, which was really generous, was to give us uh, his coach at a, at a subsidized rate for um, twelve months. And so, uh, you know, that was really, that was super helpful for us in that time. And it got me into that coaching mindset and challenging the thinking that I was making and the decisions we were making and, were, and just ref, uh, very reflective of like what's happened since last month. What do we need to do next? What are the important things? Because it's so easy to get caught up in the day to day. And since then, we've, we've um, brought in another coach uh, and she's worked with us and, and the whole senior team so that. Uh, she's got a really good understanding of the business and that's been just fantastic again. But yeah, two books that we read that were really helpful. One was called Get a Grip by a guy called Gino Wickman. And he talks about really understanding the the, the organizational structure um, that you want to put in the company and not giving people like putting essentially the seats in place and, and giving the, and the rules before the person. So you, you think about what, what you need as, the, as a structure and then you go and fill those seats rather than looking around going, well, John's kind of doing that or Mary's kind of, you know, I guess she can cover that off. Like we'll just give that to her. It's, it's, it was a very different kind of approach. Uh, and also how to, run, how to run meetings, which were focused on achieving rocks, uh, which are kind of essentially core, stru- core things that you want to get achieved in the quarter. 
so again, I'd never really starting my own company. I'd never really had that level of organizational experience or clarity. And so that book really helped us. And then more uh, recently, we've started working with the, the advantage and, and actually the, the table group um, team behind that book uh, have been working with us as well to really help us understand, like, how do we have great meetings, weekly meetings, quarterly meetings? How is it clear what we're trying to achieve? Does the company know that? Have we communicated that? And, you know, working on our thematic goals, working on our, our you know, what we call our strategic anchors. And just and again, bringing all that communication down and making sure that we've 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 done our best to communicate that to the whole company. So, tons of learnings out of those two books uh, for anybody who's thinking about scaling, growing that team. But there's no shortcut to essentially going the hard way through building those relationships, not holding on to stuff, not shirking away from confrontation or conflict, and and building that the level of trust and accountability as you go. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. I'll put a couple of links to the books uh, yeah. when we get the podcast up. Did you also just have to learn more for you, actually, like you said, kind of running a business and, and learning while doing quite a lot of it? Did you have to make a couple of bad hires to understand the kind of detriment to the business once you'd done it? Because it's easy to say, don't hire anyone that will mess up the business. But like you, do, you, don't, you don't plan on doing that. It just sometimes happens. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we've <laughs> learned a lot through uh the hires and you know we've seen good people come and go as well and you know thinking like maybe how could we have held on to those folks um and you know it's yeah there's been a, a huge amount uh of learning through through making mistakes uh and you know for me one of the, the earlier things was you know this concept everybody says trust your gut and um we hired somebody and my gut was going i don't know what what it is but no and i thought well Maybe I'm going to have to, you know, maybe my gut is wrong because, you know, my gut doesn't know very much. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll just, you know, intellectually, this makes sense. So, you know, and then actually going, yep, you know what, that was a bad decision. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't work out the way you'd hoped. And, you know, for, for whatever reason, the gut was right. So I think I'm learning to be more you know to kind of find the balance but it's not always right sometimes you do have to take risks and, and just push through stuff and, and then put it down to learning you can't always get that kind of perfect uh you're not always going to hire the perfect person that you're super excited about or um you know you might part of it might be the journey of of the difficult the difficult journey going working through that with somebody and working out what's where's where am i not being helpful where am i not being clear um you don't want people around you that are always just kind of agreeing with you so sometimes there has to be a bit of conflict and there has to be a bit of willingness to look and go yeah maybe my behavior or my words or my my way of being isn't as helpful as it could be yeah no i think I agree with that and uh, one of the things that comes up from all the podcasts when i've asked about hiring like trust your gut does become quite important like there's obviously there is like there's there's reading you can do saying like you can't just hire off your gut and all that kind of stuff but i think when you're a small company it's really, really important because one bad hire in a team of 10 is catastrophic as opposed to one bad hire in a team of a thousand. Like you can kind of hide away a little bit in some of these big companies, but not when you're trying to scale something. So now I think that's a, it's a really good good lesson. You mentioned the Scottish kind of startup scene being quite important right at the start of Float. Um, you've also been pretty vocal kind of in supporting of, I was supposed to say co-working spaces, but you guys were, were kind of code base. I'm sure for obvious reasons, uh, that is really good. Um, but for anyone listening who maybe doesn't know what 
code-based offers, not so much as a sales pitch, but like why that environment was so helpful for you? Yeah, I mean, we were we were involved right from the beginning. I actually got uh, another thing that I did was I went to Boston with uh, Scottish Enterprise. They took a group over uh, every year. I'm not, I don't know if it's still happening, but they is to MIT, and you do this um, entrepreneurship development program. And seven days, really intensive. Um, and part of that, we went around and saw different kind of incubator spaces. And one of those was. Oh gosh, I've just forgotten the name of it, but it was part Dog Patch Labs was one of them. It might have been Techstars actually, um, as well. And they were kind of sharing this co-working space. And, and the energy was just fantastic in it. And I remember thinking, like, I'd love to find something like that somehow when, whenever we come back. And just at that time, um, met a few folks and and this place called Tech Cube was starting up as part of Summer Hall. And then really, I guess Tech Cube became too small and Jamie Coleman, who was running at the time, found a new um, building in Argyle House, which was became Codebase. And again, we were we were first in part of that. So it's just been, you know, getting to know other founders and being able to sit down and have a coffee, or uh, and not and not even always feeling like you've got the time to do that, but you'll bump into them in the in the elevator or in the cafe, and just just having five minutes going, hey, can I bend your ear on something? Like uh, I'd love to know what you've done on this. And we've had we've had that again and again with um, you know, so many good founders in Codebase and 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 uh, and gathering those founders as well for specific meetups has been been really helpful. So yeah, we've benefited a huge amount from uh, from being in that environment. And yeah, I guess it's going to change. It's it's sort of changing because you know a lot of companies have moved out in the, over the sort of COVID period. We're actually just looking to move into a bigger space in Codebase at the moment, uh, but we're not sure when we're going to be allowed to be actually in it. So lots of, uh, you know, that that whole thing is changing too. So we don't know, but I still believe that it's a really, you know, being co-located with other companies is a really good way to start off um, before you need to have your own space. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and we won't get into the whole office homeworking debate, but I think everyone's going to want to get back to an office as soon as possible, at least for a little while after seven months away or yeah. however long however long we're coming up for now. So no, that sounds great. And I, I, I agree. I mean, even when I came to Codebase a few times to to um, meet with people, you just bump into someone that you know. Uh, and yeah. like, it's just so useful. And I suppose Edinburgh generally as well, it's a pretty good place to start a tech business, right? Yeah, I think Edinburgh, you know, is fantastic. And a lot of that, you know, I credit to... Um, you know, early days of informatics and and the work that they've been doing in uh, the Edinburgh University have been doing uh, and other universities as well, kind of starting to push that startup scene. But yeah, I think we just had a critical mass and I think Skyscanner really helped and, you know, lots of people kind of, you know, did their part uh, to to host early meetups and and, uh, and get the community going and Product Tank and uh, now with then you know Code Clan developing and and a bunch of other uh, meetups that have happened have just all really helped. And Edinburgh being such a sort of small um, place, it's 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 relatively easy to get the new people and get introductions. So yeah, you know I think the the important thing is it's not run by it's never going to be run by the banks or the lawyers, you know, or the accountants. It's it's got to come from the grassroots to really kind of hold something, and I and that's what we've managed to do. Uh, and I don't know why um, it feels like Glasgow is kind of catching up on that area. But, uh, you know, Edinburgh had something, you know, we were lucky and we got going early. And, and you know, I think 10 years in, it's, you know, it's getting better all the time. 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And one of the things we didn't touch on, because um, uh, I had one more question to finish off, but one of the things we've not actually spoke about, you guys, although based in Edinburgh, work all about kind of throughout the UK and Europe, but also have a big customer base in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that must be pretty fun, like having, uh, I mean, uh, another good example of an Edinburgh company doing something really interesting, but it's not confined to Scotland or even the UK. Like you can just, you can use what you guys have built everywhere. Yeah, we, we've always kind of tried to be kind of global from from the outset, uh, and we we ended up, you know, again just through good fortune, I guess. Zero um, was was not just in the UK. Uh, it started it's a New Zealand company, and uh, their biggest market was Australia. So, you know, we were like, well, let's get on a plane and go to Australia and be at their event, and and you know, really take uh, advantage of that. And so. You know, we did. We actually launched Float um, on Zero in Sydney in 2013, I think. That is some commitment to go into a meetup. Like, I sometimes <laughs> go to one after work at like seven o'clock. Like, you're going to Sydney. Well, you know, it, it's a uh, it's it's a hardship, but you know, <laughs> at the time we were like excited, and it was it was really you know been out to Australia a number of times now, and it's brilliant. And uh, you know, again, really you know, great stuff happening in Australia and. Uh, they're in some ways in the fintech side of things, they're a bit further ahead, you know, so, you know, we learned a lot and we, we got a really warm welcome when we went out there and we just knew at some point we're going to have to have an office here because, you know, part of our model is to sell to accountants and bookkeepers and, uh, work with them to help their customers and help them roll out cash flow as a service. So, you know, what we went out there and we'd always, people would always say, well, let us know when you're setting up your office. And I think there's just something from a support the time zone of Australia is so difficult. Um, yeah. And anyway, we were lucky enough to, we, I kind of, we held off and held off on, on doing this office. I just couldn't quite work out how it was going to work. And people said, oh, you're going to have to go out there, call and set it up yourself. And eventually, you know, one of our team put their hand up and said, I'd, I'd love to go. And, uh, and we thought at that point, you know, this could work because you need to kind of import the culture. And then also we, we got an introduction to a really good person, uh, through a contact um, who was also looking for something new uh, and their company had actually been acquired by Zero, and so he'd been in the space uh, and been on that journey and wanted to do something you know more grassroots so so Dylan who's in Australia and Rebecca from our team went out and set up that uh, Australia company in January uh, amidst fires and uh, you know COVID and everything else so they've really um Jesus they've really had a baptism of fire uh and um and now that team you know rebecca's just come back but there's still three new three folks over in australia and so really excited about just um seeing that office grow and develop and you know they're really they're hitting their targets and it's it's exciting to see nice. is that in sydney as well yeah yeah in sydney nice that's amazing. Um, and even more excuse for you to go out. Um, yeah. I actually have a friend that works in the headquarters of uh, Zero, and she said it's just like the most fun place to work. Like those guys are just amazing. So I'm not surprised that, that you were made to feel welcome and, and had fun with them. Yeah. Yeah, Zero have been fantastic. They're I, they're a company that we really um, look up to in so many ways. They're, um, you know, they've always they've done a really good job of of building community uh and building you know it is it does seem like a great place to work and there's a really high level of staff retention so you can kind of tell that uh so yeah we we've we've got a lot of respect for for zero uh what they've done in in the uk and and in australia new zealand 
Nice. And uh, just to finish off, to, to stick things on float, what does uh, kind of the rest of this incredibly strange year look like, but also kind of going into 2021? Like, what is, is there a big focus or is it keep keep doing what you're doing for more people and keep growing the office in Australia? I think in the Australia offices, they've got their own sets of uh, targets and then they're working through. So that's, that's kind of, you know, really just letting them crack on with that and, and supporting them any way you can. But for us in the UK, uh, you know, one of our, our most recent hires has been a head of product, uh, Rosemary, and she's been doing a really fantastic job of getting back out and speaking to customers on the ground. And, you know, one of the things we realized when we started building Float, or we didn't realize, was that, you know, we were far too general. We, we, we had lots of different customers from all different sorts of backgrounds. And I think my big piece of learning, if we were to do it again, was just to, is to, is to get much more focused on a niche uh, and uh, think about how you can really help. And so that's been what we've been doing is like targeting a much tighter niche uh, of, of persona and sector. Uh, and understanding their specific pain points and trying to trying to cultivate the product to, to be much more you know focused in on that and then start to track all the data around is this is this making a difference um, in terms of conversion and and retention and all the all the metrics that we we track because you know we don't want to be a, pro- a product that's just there for people in a crisis we want to be the product that people use as their day-to-day dashboard for their finances and that takes work because you know you've got to build habits um and so yeah we're really um we've really been focusing on uh how we build our cross-functional teams uh so not just having product and design and marketing separate but actually really bringing them together to understand the customer problem and uh and then going the whole way through from for the first time they had our website to to getting an email nurture campaign to you know, signing up for the trial to, you know, the first, you know, 30, 90 days of their, of, of their customer experience. So yeah, we're, we're, tra- we're really, really um, narrowing in on, on those kind of things. And it's exciting because, you know, we, you know, you see the customer reviews coming in, you know, the impact that you're making and the whole team is just really fired up about um, starting to go faster, starting to roll out changes quicker, starting to test better, starting to get more data into the system and, you know, it, it's felt like, you know, COVID's been I mean, a lot of readjustments to make uh, in terms of how we work. And actually, I think we're just all really keen to start, you know, knocking out of the park again in terms of product and, and marketing. You know, it sounds like what you guys have done so far is incredible. And uh, it'll be exciting to see what, I don't know, the next kind of six to 18 months looks like and then beyond. When we get everything posted, I'll, I'll make sure to tag up Float into any social media stuff and obviously you and then some links to those books as well so even anyone else can get some value from it but thank you very much for joining really do appreciate it great thanks liam and yeah like uh you guys are using zero so i'd love to hear uh you know let us know who we need to speak to 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 show you what we can do to to make that um to make the magic really happen that's the first time i've been sold to on the podcast i love it <laughs> uh, but, but as soon as we has, as soon as we stop recording i'll tell you some of the horror show, uh, horror stories great <laughs> thanks very much colin Cheers, Liam.